Hey y'all, Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Alan Parker said, sometimes with the British film industry, it's hard to know if we're waving or drowning. Let's find out. The Britflix podcast comes absolutely free. So can I ask a favour? I urge everyone to go over to my iTunes page, Stitcher page, SoundCloud page, or Spotify page, or whatever podcast medium you're using to listen, and please rate and review us. You can just rate us. They all have star meters, which can be clicked on in absolutely no time at all. Just click on it and you're done. And it'd be really helpful, trust me. The higher the star meter, the more reviews we get, the more ratings we get, the more the Britflix.com podcast goes up the charts. Please, please, please. Come on, I'm begging you now. Everyone listening, go to iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud or Spotify pages, type Britflix.com podcast and rate us. And if you've got a little bit more time on your hands, why not review us as well? Just two or three words of praise will do the world of good. It's really simple and really quick. Now on with the show. Welcome to another Britflix.com podcast. My name's Stuart Wright. This is a Grimfest 2019 preview podcast series. And I'm speaking to Paulina McIntosh. Hello. Hello. We made it. We made it. Um, We did. We did, done did it. Uh, admin and time zones, they're an absolute bastard, but you know, they weren't going to beat are. They weren't going to beat me, and I could tell they weren't <laughs> going to beat you. Um, but we're not here to Love talk it. about diaries, uh, we're here to talk about your film Darling, which, which I, I mean, I spoke to you back in 2014 when you were doing White Settlers, and you, we talked about writing and directing then. Uh, yeah, I think I was writing perfect then, which became a 35-minute short um which is a feature i'd like to get finished this year actually mm-hmm. and um and yeah so i was probably working on that and had no idea that my first feature was going to be a sequel to the woman Indeed. a standalone sequel to the woman i should make a big point of saying i was going to say so so um, for, for those for those going to grimfest or thinking of going and what to watch and stuff do you want to give people a brief synopsis to what darling is all about Yeah, it's about a feral teenage girl who's Mm -hmm. been raised in the woods Mm -hmm. since she was six. And she's coming into civilization for the first time. She winds up being taken into a Catholic care home by a bishop who sees the potential in proving the miracle of the church by 
converting this wild child into a good girl. Mm-hmm. But it's a horror movie, so it doesn't go according to his dastardly plan. No, no, no. <laughs> God, God doesn't save us, does he? Uh, not in this case, no. And um, <laughs> and uh, Darlin is played by Lauren Canny, mm-hmm. um, who is a dark-haired, pale-skinned Irish lass who's absolutely brilliant. And she's red-headed in this and plays an American uh, teen. And she's just, she's so phenomenal. I can't wait for people to see that performance. I think that the biggest um, common thread throughout this is, is how, how attractive this character people are and how they're seeing the world through her eyes and, and how they're really having a different kind of experience because it's, it's, it's really a coming-of-age horror film, mm-hmm. you know? And, and also the tone, there are, there's quite a bit of comedy in it as well, which I think for me is needed in the darkest of times. So, um, yeah, both, yeah, both, sides, hearing... both sides of the Atlantic. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, um, and it's quite fun because I got to work with, with a lot of my castmates from Walking Dead. Um, for those who watch The Walking Dead, I played Jadis on there, who leads mm. the junkyard scavengers, and, um, and then became Anne, and then took Rick away in the helicopter at the end of his journey on the show. Um, spoiler alert. And, uh, and so I got to get together with Cooper Andrews, who plays Jerry on Walking Dead, and he plays the nurse that really connects with Darlin. Indeed. And also Sabrina Generino and Thomas Francis Murphy, who played my right and left on Walking Dead, my Brian and Tamiel. Um, so, yeah, it's, it was a really fun kind of family affair. So going, going back to um, the sort of start of the process of making this film and write, mm. writing a screenplay. I mean, one, writing a screenplay based on something that already exists, but also writing a screenplay based on something you're in, where you've kind of... I mean, this is your third... Your third run at the character of the woman, isn't it? Yeah. Right. So yeah. you can so if, if somebody bring... doesn't know it, you don't. <laughs> yeah, you? exactly. Thanks. That's kind of what the feedback was because, yeah. you know, Jack Ketchum wrote this this absolutely uh, a Rubicon of a of a horror novel mm-hmm. called Off Season, mm-hmm. um, and I know that he has a huge fan base out there. There's a lot of love for him, and he he then wrote Offspring, which is when we were introduced to the woman, mm-hmm. and and when we made the movie of Offspring and I was playing the woman, um, and that was directed and produced by Andrew Vandenhouten, um, he decided I was having too much fun. And he said, we can't possibly kill you, like <laughs> she dies in the book, because we want to make more, because you're just having so much fun playing this feral cannibal woman. Um, <laughs> and so I was like, all right. So then Lucky McKee co-wrote The Woman with, um, with Jack Ketchum, and they also did the novel. And that was, you know, a Sundance, that was 2011, that went to Sundance, it was really critically acclaimed, it was sort of also, especially for those who hadn't seen it, they, they'll know it as this very shocking movie. Mm. Um, but it, it's, uh, I have so much love and respect for that movie, and I enjoy playing the role so much, and so it was lucky that suggested that I direct the sequel, because mm-hmm. a lot of people have been waiting for the sequel, myself included. And I wanted to write it as a complete standalone sequel so that those who enjoyed The Woman or or Offspring or both could enjoy it. But also so that people who'd never seen The Woman or heard of it or seen Offspring or perhaps never even heard of Ketchum could come to this for the first time and it it be completely comprehensive, which is what I'm hearing from everyone, which is great. So it's kind of one of those where you can get into this world through this movie and then you can go back and watch the other two if you haven't seen them before. Or you can watch it and say, well, I don't need any more of that. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> Fair enough. But, well, from, well, from a writing point of view, though, Pollyanna, what, yeah, what, what, yeah. where, 
you've obviously created this story now that you've directed. So, yeah. So yeah. Where, where, what was the kernel of the idea for you that wanted to send it in this direction, which is obviously this this idea of, I guess, nurture versus nature and, and belief in God. I mean, I read... Um, I read the 50s book, uh, Case for Conscience, which has a Jesuit priest mm. going to an alien planet and can't understand why this are happening because they've never found oh, that's God. Because they've never found fascinating. God. But then, in oh, your, great. but obviously, like you said in the intro, your film is about this idea of here's someone that's godless. If we put God in, mm-hmm. we're going to show the power yeah. of God. So, where did that idea, where did that all that idea come from for you? Well, it's essentially like. Um, I was looking up feral stories of feral children Mm -hmm. and I'd done a lot of this research before, but I found this story about a priest in India who was claiming to have found two girls who were wild children who were, had raised themselves in the woods. Mm -hmm. And he used these girls as sort of publicity for his own church in my mind. I mean, he, because it was, sorry, I get excited. And then I'm like, wow. Uh, (laughs) Uh, so he basically found these two girls who he claimed were feral, and then it turned out that they just had special needs and that they'd been abused in their own household. Blimey. So they weren't feral children at all, and they didn't come from the woods at all. And I thought, well, that's fascinating because just as you know, certain religious organisations can spin a bunch of bullshit for their own gain. What was the story here? Did he want money? Did he want fame? Did he want that for himself? Did he want that for the church? Did he believe he was doing the right thing by God? You know, was he trying to bring, was he trying to convert people by showing them how incredible God was with, you know, with finding these girls? Or was he just an egomaniac and wanted to look like he was somebody who could find something like this, you know? Mm. So, and I didn't know the answer to any of these questions, but in the climate that I live in, in the States, it seemed very clear to me that the most interesting was someone who was using this situation for their own gain and using the piety and the respect of the church to make it legitimate. Mm. And, um, and of course we all know the awful things that, you know, have been exposed in the Catholic church and just that in, in general, if it's happening in those numbers in the Catholic church, just, you know, this abuse, then it's probably happening in homes and and organizations everywhere. And the idea of taking a, a young woman and, and infantilizing her, but also dominating her, um, I think spoke to me a lot as well as a woman. You know, I just, I, I was a teenager myself and I saw the way the world reacted to me when I grew a pair of boobs, mm. you know, yeah, and yeah. it was terrifying. It was like, oh my God, you know, this, this outside sexuality kind of being pushed on you just as you're trying to understand your own sexuality from a very personal um, and, you know, should be free and beautiful perspective you get dumped everyone else's version of, of that onto yourself, you know, mm. societies, male and female. And, um, and I think that that influenced it massively because when I was looking at the idea of conversion and being a good girl and what that means, um, you know, your own sexuality and, and how that scene was, came up a lot for me in, in writing. So yeah, it was inspired by that true story. And then I just went with it and I tried, I wanted to find a way to bring the woman in, in to, you know, this society without having her confined the way she had been in the woman, because she's quite, she's, you know, she's been captured in the woman. And so she's confined throughout. And I knew that people wanted to see the woman again. And even if they hadn't seen the woman, they'd want to see her because she's a great character. Um, But I didn't want to make her the lead. I really wanted to put her on the sidelines so that 
you know, I could write something with somebody who could end up speaking and, you know, you could experience her full emotions. The woman is so animalistic that she, she's not necessarily going to change massively in a story at this point in her life, you know, no, whereas no. Darlin is this young person who we can, we can see go through something. So, so the woman comes in for all the fun kills and there's a lot of them. Indeed, indeed. <laughs> now you don't, you don't pull, I mean, you, you, you don't pull any punches in terms of what no. the, the over, uh, criticism of, of maybe the, um, nefarious aims of the Catholic Church might be. Um, mm -hmm. Is that something, is that coming from your own knowledge of, of, of religion and your own religious experience, or is that something, you, where, where did you go for your research on that sort of? Well, I think faith is a beautiful thing, actually, and mm -hmm. I think that you can have faith in lots of different ways, but I think that the patriarchal, patriarchal system um, of domination and lies is uh, not something I'm, I really dig mm. so yeah and I, I felt I, I researched a lot I listened to a lot of interviews with a lot of clergy uh, male and female um, I looked at the system uh, from within I looked at the, the, the catechism and, and all the learning that you have to go through to take you to, to your holy communion because this was something I found really interesting the crossover with cannibalism and eating the body of Christ mm. so yeah, you know that's already there yeah, <laughs> so yeah, you may yeah, as well yeah. use it when you're dealing with with some cannibal themes um and, uh, and uh, you know, uh, everything in the film that's – the Bible's quoted a fair amount. The, the bishop at one point says a line where he says, um, I'm a direct descendant of the apostles. And this is actually, a, you know, a, stated as fact mm. um, within the doctrine of the Catholic Church that bishops are direct descendants of the apostles. And I was interested in being given so much power and so much um, – so many people sort of following you, you know. Uh, it's, it's, like, it's, like pre it's like truth. I was going to say, it's like preordained bloody egomania, isn't it? It, it is. And, and honestly, it doesn't really serve anyone. Because, no. <laughs> of course, that's going to be really fucking confusing, whichever position you're in there, you know. And I believe in, 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 in you know, the, the grey areas as well of, of, of evil, you know. And I mm. think that what we've got with the bishop is actually quite a well-rounded um, character. Um, he, he is a bad guy, but, but the research I think that was toughest for me was looking into, you know, sexual abuse and, and the way in which psychologically people make it make sense for them. And it, that's a lot easier when you're given a position of power, such as, you know, being the bishop of a state and running a hospital and running a care home and running the church, you know, which, which a lot of these men do. And of course, women aren't allowed to do that. So we don't know what it would look like if, <laughs> if women have been allowed in the church in that regard but um yeah, yeah. well, well I, was, I was going to say there's Bra a lot of themes in this film <laughs> no no for sure for sure and and it's it, it's 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 a fascinating it's fascinating for that uh, and and i thought the casting of brian Bat as the as the bishop was yeah uh, in my notes as i was watching your film i just wrote he's creepy as fuck like from the moment <laughs> yeah. from the moment just even when he's being benign he just carries that yeah. air which obviously if, like you say, the belief is I'm a descendant of God on earth, yep. and I'm wearing fancy magenta outfits. I've got of the to, apostles, yeah. I've got to yeah. carry that off, haven't I? And, and his performance, in a sense, it's like he's, he's sort of, what's it called, you couldn't ruffle his feathers, could you? No, I mean, th that's the thing. This, yeah, absolutely. Like, just this, this belief system that just allows for this, like you say, unchecked egomania. And, and absolute truth. I mean, how can you know the truth when you're dealing with God and spirits and, you know, whatever? Um, and, and, and 
even Jesus was supposed to be, you know, human. Um, so it, it's, it's fucking mental. I like- <laughs> and it's such an influence on our, on our politics and on our, our society, you know, that, that whether, whether you're in America or whether you're in Britain, just this, this, this system of hierarchy has been set up so long ago. We're all kind of married to it. Even if we don't, even if we don't go to church or haven't been raised with religion, it's in the very fabric of our society. And I, and I just wanted that to be, to be a question, you know. Um, and also, it's so interesting to me. And I love that you say, even when he's being benign, that he's creepy, because to me, those are some of the creepiest scenes. Because it's when the person you're trusting and who's sort of acting like a father is, you know, in in, in every sense of the word. Mm. Um, is is being loving and kind and we're dealing with a girl here who's come out from the woods you know who's been raised by a wild woman who's not who's not all you know love and candy you know and then she has a very different sort of parent as it were in front of her and also the male you know which she's she's been unused to for a long time and um it's in those moments where he's sort of trying to be really you know sweet to her and he's admiring her and he's loving her for her innocence that um, that is the most creepy for sure. Indeed. Now, uh, before we get on to Lauren, I just want, I just want to, there's a, there's a lovely bit, given, given these themes, there's a lovely bit of meta casting that I thought you did with, uh, oh, yeah. with Nora Jane Noon as the uh, as yeah. sister Jennifer. So from Magdalene sisters to a fully fledged sister in, in cinema history yeah. for her career, <laughs> which I thought yeah. was cool. Yeah, Nora Jane grows up. Yeah, <laughs> that was kind of because yes. when she first come on screen and she's got the habit, and you're like, "The fuck's going on?" <laughs> oh, good. Yeah, I mean, a good and bad, I suppose. It might be distracting if you, if you, you know, if you're a fan of that film. But yeah, she's such a fine actor that I was just so excited that she, she, no. the film spoke to her, you know, and 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 yeah, and she does a great job. But she's she's such a nuanced character as well because like she was kind of a bad girl, quote unquote, you know, when she was but younger. And I was going to say, but that's, but that's nice. I was going to say, Paula, that's the nice thing about her yeah. character. She's not the she's not just like the the wing woman of of the bishop. She's she's yeah. as flawed in her own origins as Darlin is flawed, and the yeah. church is the church might have saved her, i.e., she's not dead, but yeah, it's all that exists. But you get the impression early doors. That she's there's there's a little bit of cynicism in in how she goes about being a nun. Yeah, yeah. I mean, she she is she's basically so Nora Jane's character, Sister Jennifer. She was a drug addict. She was on the streets. She was taken in by this care home. She was saved, like you say, and then she's left it and she's gone off and she's helping the homeless and she really feels she's doing God's work and she's doing she's doing the right thing, you know, mm. um, because she is she is caring. But now this bishop's taken her back into the care home and said, right, can you teach this girl how to speak and <laughs> film her and prove to the media that, you know, we're really doing an amazing conversion here. And she's trying to do the right thing, but it's so triggering for her to be back in that care home. And and sometimes she can be a little vicious, you know. And uh, and again, it's, those, it's the greys that I'm really, really interested in and, and a lot of there's a lot of redemption in just apology and honesty in this film rather than, um, rather than fully changing, you know? Totally, totally. Uh, now, we have to, obviously, yeah. we have to sort of, the, the main character of Darling is, as you said, mm. played by Lauren Canny, and she's an Irish actress, actor. Yeah. Um, what was your process? Whatever you like to use. I don't have an issue with it. I just, I just try and use actor myself. No, no, I, did, no, I, I was correcting myself as I went. Um, 
because it's an important point actually in the I'll, I'll come to it later the, the sort of an observation I was sort of making with the movie but um but, yeah. but with Lauren what was where did you find Lauren and how was the process of casting Darling because obviously oh, that's the so important exciting. part yeah yeah I am um, I actually had Darling cast before we even had the money for the film with Annalise Basso hmm. who's an American actress actor who's uh was in Captain Fantastic and she was the lead in Ouija and she was in Oculus. She played a young Karen Gillan in Oculus. Mm. And she's got the red hair that, you know, Darlin had to have. And she's a great actor and she's lovely and she's professional and she's cool. And she'd done a table read with me and I was so happy that we had a cast. And when it came to the actual timing of the film, once we had the money, we had to do it in this certain month in order to do it before the year was done. And um, and my timing as well, because I was finishing up the season of Walking Dead. Mm. And um, and it meant that Annalise wasn't available. And I thought, shit, we're going into this film where everything hangs on Darlin being a convincing, great actor who can, you know, lead an indie movie, which is, of course, fast, fast paced. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and now we don't have anyone. And how the hell are we going to you know, find her? So I looked at various redheads through our wonderful L.A. casting director, David Guglielmo, and um, and got some people to come, you know, ready for the first audition for people in the room. And Lauren had been in L.A. for four months over from Ireland. She was 19. She was the first one who came into the reception area for the audition. Right. And I was there early. And so I saw her and we got chatting. And she was just so, like, full of gallows humor and grounded and real and gorgeous in a really unusual way. Um and uh, and I thought, fuck, I hope she's as good an actor as, you know, she is a cool person because I <laughs> think she would be brilliant, you know. And she came in the room and she just nailed it. We had her do that very animalistic scene at the beginning with Tony in the hospital when she's first found. Mm. And then I had her do the um, a really heavy scene with the bishop. And both of them, she just totally nailed. Mm. And um, I knew she, I knew she was our one. But of course, you know, we, we had to see other people because we had this audition set up. Um, and I, I, I basically hounded the, the producers and said, this is who I want. This is who I want. She's the one. It's her. Um, and she was actually in a movie called A Thousand Times Goodnight with Nicholas Costa Wildow and Juliette Binoche. And Juliette Binoche was quoted as saying that she was her favorite young actor working today. Wow. And I just want to, yeah, right. It's Juliette Binoche. And, um, and I just want to take the young out of that and say, I fully agree. No, um, no she's, she's a force of nature. So, from like, like we said at the beginning, you, you've 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 now played this role three times. You've written this screenplay, and Lauren comes mm-hmm. in to play sort of the the younger the younger equivalent, that feral that feral woman, and mm. and that and obviously you're directing as well. What was your conversations yeah. like about? Because because I think for anyone's not seen the film, listening to this, dialogue for Darling isn't until later in the movie. So much of the movie is. She's Lauren's not relying on words to express herself. It's everything about yeah. how she performs physically, and obviously in that yeah. kind of um, in that classic sense about how you know all, all the best acting is almost like what's not said and what you're seeing and what you're reading yeah. as, as the audience. So, what was your conversations like with Lauren about trying to sort of build the confidence, I suppose, in sort of reducing yourself to because it must be quite vulnerable to play an animal. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. She was. She's such a curious person, which, you know, is, was great for me because, of course, she wanted to know all my process of playing the woman. Uh, you know, she just wanted to know everything. Mm. So I just gave her all my research materials and 
and just kept reminding her that she she came in the room ready, you know. Um, so anything she did was probably going to be right on point. Mm. And if there was anything she was questioning, that we could try it because she's such a she's such a physical actor, but she's also such a technical actor. She can be very conscious of where she has to move whilst being very much in the character. Mm-hmm. So I mean, I had a you know I had an absolute dream. And when when we interviewed together, she goes on about how much I did for her and da 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 da. And it's like, nah, she just brought it. <laughs> she just brought it, and I just reminded her that she could. You know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that was it. That was it. So yeah, she's a she's a really really fine actor, and I'm sure she's going to go on to do amazing things. In fact, she already is. Um, but it was so much fun because my my concern, funnily enough, my concern going in with Lauren, my only concern was don't mother her too much. Don't okay. like because I just loved her already. You know what I mean? And yeah, I'm like, yeah. she's not your little sister. She's your actor. Like don't you know what I mean? But. But we're such good friends and we're so we're so close. And and she does sort of say, you know, I'm a bit of a mentor for her and I'll take that. But I just thought I, I I'm I'm you when you write a character like this you're, that you're already protective over. Hmm. And then you have a young actor on set who's, you know, female and who has to do all these vulnerable things. I was just conscious. I wanted to make sure she was comfortable and had the best time and gave the best performance. But that I wasn't kind of being too, you know helicopter mom on her and i think it i think i think having that in my mind from the beginning meant that that didn't wasn't an issue you know? in, in, in a more general does that make sense no totally no, totally <laughs> i can imagine i can imagine if the first time you meet someone you hit it off and therefore mm. it's cool and obviously if she's younger and you're older there is a sense yeah. of i'll keep a lookout for you and then when that relationship yeah. progresses suddenly you're a, you're her director as well as her friend and obviously yeah. you're, you're as interested in getting the right performance so no it makes perfect sense but, yeah, but in, yeah. in thinking yeah. of that in, in, in a bigger sense, that in, in a macro sense for the film, obviously you're, you're an actor first and then a director now, having done acting. Mm-hmm. What, cons- yeah. what concessions did, or what did you bring to the directing role, do you think, that you kind of look, that were kind of lessons learned having been an actor who's been directed, mm. where you thought, I'm not going to do that? Um, well, I, th- I think the most obvious one for me is that, you know, coming from the inside as it were yeah. I, I, I feel that the best work is done and the fastest route to it all is honesty and openness so whereas I think a lot of the time actors are treated a bit preciously um, which is not always helpful mm-hmm. you know I'd much rather be told oh the reason we need this other take is because your lips twitching or I didn't believe you or you were walking weird or you know it's too bloody slow. Right, okay. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Whatever yeah, yeah. it is that you need, like shortcuts, where even if even if it's not by saying all those things, but there's just the inherent understanding, which gives the actor confidence from the director that you trust them, but you're going to tell them if you're not getting what you want, mm. and it's not going to be in code. So with, uh, with Brian, for instance, um, we had a code for him butching it up. Oh, really? you know? I mean, not code, but like, we, you know, we had a short shorthand for him butching it up because he's used to, he's plays, plays a lot of gay characters, yeah, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. And, um, and now I've got him in a freaking dress being a, being a bishop who's got a huge ego. There's, there's the capacity there for it to, for it to become a little bit um, flamboyant. The power of God does that flamb- to people. <laughs> it does. It, it takes you over. He comes inside you. 
Um, Literally. <laughs> exactly. And, um, and, uh, and, you know, that made sense to me. And, of course, instead of going, oh, let's just do another take, or oh, we'll get this, I just would say, the first time, and I was nervous because I'm a huge fan of Brian Bat, you know, mm. and he's older than me and he's more, he's done more work than me. But I just, you know, went over to him and went, so it's coming off of just the teeniest wee bit camp. And he goes, oh, butchered up, butchered up. Okay, great. <laughs> and so then it just became BIU, you know, um, and he was grand with it. He wants to do the best job too, you know, and he's putting his faith in me. So it's just wonderful to, um, and Cooper Andrews, who played Tony, said the same thing. He was like, He's like, it's so refreshing to have somebody just say to you, you're doing a weird thing with your hand, can you not? <laughs> it's not working, you know? And then he's like, oh, great. So if I'm looking like a twat, she's going to tell me. She's not just going to sort of pussyfoot oh, yeah. around it, you know? And that just saves time. Because I think actors are sort of, you know, the way we're shepherded from, from trailer to set, you know, like to make sure we're not, we don't wander off the path, yeah. you know? And, and it all makes sense because things have to move fast. But it's like... If you put your confidence in people as actors, you know, if the director puts their confidence in you, you're a lot more likely to step up to it um, than if you feel like you're being treated as an other in some way. You so, know? In, so in a sense, I feel like you, we're all in it together. I was going to say, in a sense, are you kind of putting in place the kind of things that you, you've appreciated and or would appreciate if it was you being told kind of thing? Yeah, definitely, definitely. And, and it's always worth, you know, that I'm going to come up against some people who don't want it that way and then you you find another way you know because mm. at the end of the day it's about getting the best out of everyone but i found without you know uh that like without exception that that worked for everybody who was acting in that film how was how was it to um, direct yourself i was terrible i was such <laughs> a moody actor to work with <laughs> um I am lucky in this in this um, case that I've played this character so much and that yeah. I wrote it. Mm. So I knew her inside out. I knew how I wanted every scene to look that she was in. Um, I knew what I wanted to get out of the people playing opposite her. So, you know, then I just had to make sure I set up the shot. And, and uh, Helena Hutchins, our wonderful DP, um, that she was, you know, that she was fully conscious of exactly how I wanted it to move and that it stayed that way because we didn't have time to keep going and doing more takes. Mm. Um, the best advice I got from reading an interview with Alan Rickman, who directed himself, and he said, make sure you give yourself enough takes because it's you, you're going to want to, especially if you're British, especially if you're a woman, you're going to want to not uh, give yourself, you know, too much time out of the schedule. Right. But give yourself enough takes because the film's got to be good when you're in it too, not just when everyone else is in it. So I was conscious of that, but I still didn't feel we needed a lot of takes. Um, and, we, and we really didn't have time for, 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 for it at all anyway. But, but I was conscious of that. And I think that's good advice for any actor directing themselves is just to not to brush it off. If you feel you need to check the frame after, you know, you need to uh, sorry check the do playback after, you know, fight to get it because it might well be that because you're on the screen and you're not looking through the camera or watching the actor that you've got something sticking out the top of your head that no one else has noticed. I was going to say, is that, is that, how, how's that experience? Because obviously when you're directing other action, you're there as a viewer seeing the whole thing go on and then you can then review it. You can see what you've seen as the performance, then review the playback. But obviously if you've been in the scene, then you walk out of the yeah. set and then watch what happened. How does it look? Well, it, it's on the rare occasions that I allowed myself to watch playback, which yeah. I never did with never did with other actors because yeah. I was always there. Um, it was it was generally how I how I'd seen it. I mm. mean, 
you know, again, I think one of the reasons that Lauren and I connect so well is, as you know, in our work as well, is that I'm kind of similar to her in that I can, I can be really in it and then technically know that this slow turn is going to be the most dramatic thing to do, yeah. you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> but this angle and just this bit of your nose poking around the corner is going to be, you know what I mean? Mm. So you, there's a lot of faith in it too, of course. I mean, I could, it, I could be completely wrong, but... Um, I just had to have faith in myself that I was doing what it felt like I was doing in the scene. Um, I mean, you can imagine that last scene in the mm. film, which we won't say what happens, but yeah. that last scene directing with that situation was, was amazing and intense. And I think if I'd been playing that role and hadn't been directing myself doing that scene, I probably would have been the actor going, hang on, we've got to take a break because of this going on. And, you know, I would have been looking after everybody else. But because I was in it and taking care of the most vulnerable, you know, person in the room, mm. um, I didn't have to worry about it. So it was kind of like, I don't know, it was kind of easier in a way. It's because I knew, I knew that I was in charge at the end of the day and so I would take care of things you'll be glad you'll be glad you'll be glad to learn that the that final that scene you're talking about in the church yeah made the mm. uh made the best of the fest uh britflix podcast one of the fright festers we had on was uh describing oh, yeah? the, the, the beautiful dramatic irony of a uh dove of peace flag um, oh yes <laughs> <laughs> yeah which which it is that was fun it is it yeah. is beautiful uh, now, so obviously, glad that was noticed. Yeah, of course. Uh, but I mean, one one thing, obviously, Lucky McKee directs the the woman. You've directed mm -hmm. Darling, and there's definitely a yeah. distinctive difference in style in terms of what we're watching yeah. on screen. And one of the things that struck me, and, and 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 I don't want to confuse the listener who might not have seen it, because it's clearly grounded in the real world. But I got the feeling, given way some of the way the way it went, it was it. Like you say, it's a coming-of-age story, but also there was that, because it's coming-of-age and because of the animalistic element to it, it, felt, it looked to me and felt like, uh, like we're watching a fairy tale as well, like a contemporary fairy tale. Um, yeah, I was really interested and influenced by the fairy tale in this film. So, um, what, so what was your conversations like with Helena Hutchins then from a cinema, cinema, a DLP point of view? Like, what was the look and feel that the pair of you were discussing to, to achieve that? Oh... We had so many conversations and we shared so many images mm. and film stills and colour boards and lens tests. It was the most fun. Um, she is a totally committed uh, artist. And, right. um, and I, I wanted pastels. I wanted, I wanted the infantilization of these girls mm. in the care home going on. And so I wanted pastel light pinks and yellows and, you know... Um, Rosemary's Baby was an influence, you know, in that film, the, the devil's taking over a woman's body. In this film, the church is taking over a woman's body, which I think is much more terrifying and Indeed. realistic, as it were. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And so the, the, you know, the colours in the, in the kids' dormitory were that, was that blue and yellow. Just a, a lot of 60s, 70s movies like um, Three Women, um, uh, Diane Arbus's Fur, because uh, just, I'm just a huge fan of Jonathan Glazer. Um, Sammy, come here. Sorry, that's my little dog being playfully, playfully ruffled by a great big husky. <laughs> little dogs do that, don't they? They do, they yeah. He's, like, he's quite a goer, but at the same time. Well, yeah. look, I've just got one at more question. At the same question. time, take a break. No, 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 it's good. Um, and, and yeah, and we really, we, we really focused on the colours there and wanted to ensure that 
when anything was saturated, it was only the red. Hmm. Um, and, it, and red was only present, you know, at a time of when a kill was coming or danger, was, death was looming. Hmm. Um, and uh, the rest, we just wanted it to feel like this sort of fairy tale slash institution, you know. Um, and I wanted a kind of still a Terminatory kind of first blood vibe to the scenes with the woman in it, which is a little bit more of an homage to the woman itself. I was going to um, say, but it I did wanted it did feel like a natural light and innocence in the rest of it. I did like that. Yeah. Uh, it's funny you mentioned Terminator because that sprung to mind. I couldn't quite make it yeah. fit, but because you switch the role to Darling, and obviously the woman is the is it's the sequel to the woman. It's that it just felt yeah. like a bit of like that switch between Terminator and Terminator Two. I know it's not literally the same way. It's good guy and bad guy, but clearly yeah. the lines are drawn differently, aren't they, as to what's what's good and what's bad in this sequel yeah. compared to what's good and what's yeah. bad. There's a, lot, there's a lot of other things going on in the first one, which, which obviously are not part of the sequel because the sequel is, like you say, yeah. about putting the... Ch- that's like the idea. I love that idea. I never, never thought it'd be so concisely as putting God in someone, um, which, yeah. is, which is a terrifying <laughs> thought. Yeah, now you say it. Insert God here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. have you got a wound? Yeah. Can we put God in it? Yes. <laughs> you don't have space for the Holy Spirit too? <laughs> What evil bit? <laughs> now, now in, in the closing credits of the film, you, you dedicate mm. it to Jack Ketchum's memory. He passed away in January yes. 2018. Now, obviously, having sort of straddled the three kind of the woman series in, that could become f- in film. But, I mean, I'm just wondering yeah. if you wanted to share any sort of your mem- a memory of Jack Ketchum that you've got that, that for people who, who might not have never met him and don't, don't know his work. Thanks. Yeah, I think if you just read Ketchum's work and never met him, you might find him quite scary. But <laughs> he was such a warm, he's such a warm person, and he was, he, you know, he was a, a great supporter of artists in general, yeah. um, and of bravery and of honesty. And um, and when we were on the woman, because he was there, obviously a lot of the most of the shoot. Yeah. Uh, I said to him, you know, Dallas, because that's, you know, his real name's Dallas Mayer. Um, Dallas, how do you do it? How do you write? You know, I really want to write and and I want to be, you know, able to finish the script. And how do you do it? And he said, you just write. You write every day and you do it. And eventually you got something. Um, And and so it was, and that sounds so simple, but coming from a writer in the way in which he said it to me, it's like, it was really helpful to me and it and it meant that I did start writing and so he really got me moving as a writer all those years ago yeah and um and when we were shooting in December in Louisiana and and he was in New York and not not well at all he made the trip he traveled down to set to see us do our thing wow and lucky was there too at that time because mm-hmm. they both came to visit set yeah and we were down this corridor in this sort of, <laughs> it's sort of a barracksy type of set, um, you know, a, a bunch of showers in a, in a row sort, sort of thing. Mm. And we were doing the scene with Lauren where she's, um, where Darlin is in the shower and she's having this memory and the, goes into the snow, snowscape. Um, and he, I, I spotted him down the corridor just watching everything happen and just smiling, this big, big, huge <laughs> smile, you know, and he was... He was so unwell and he was so thin, but his smile was just as big as it ever was. And I was so grateful and glad that he was there. And it was a month later that he passed away. So, you know, 
I just, it meant a lot to me that I had his blessing on the whole project yeah. because I was essentially taking over this series, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then to have him so clearly happy <laughs> as, to, as to how it was all going down was really cool. So, yeah, I feel he lived such a full life and he influenced so many people and he was so generous. And, of course, I wish that he was here with us now, but I know he didn't waste a second while he was around. So, it's very cool. Um, Good inspiration. No, I imagine. I imagine. I've, 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 it, it, weirdly, not, not it, completely coincidentally, as this, this podcast was being arranged, I've, I've started mm. reading the, the, the novel version of The Woman. Um, oh yeah, which is kind of I've had it for a while and not and not not got round to read. You know, like isn't like on all things you've got in life, right? Yeah. And I, and, and after Fright Fest, I was like, I wanted some something else, and I was like, no, I'll go back to that. <laughs> and uh, and then How and, here cool. we are, and here we are talking about the darling now. Um, yeah, it's really an unusual thing to have a sort of trilogy of a female horror character. Mm. I don't think there's ever been anything like it. And, um, you know, we talk a lot about Screen Queens and Final Girls and things like that. But the woman, I think Andrew was very smart, the director of, the, of Offspring and the mm. producer of all three, three films, was very smart in recognising all that time ago that, you know, hang on a minute, we don't have a female bad guy in the horror world that is really recognisable. And, and, so and I was going to say, and by now darling, we have three of them. I was going to say, but by <laughs> darling, and even through the what what the woman endures in the woman, there's a, there's a. Fine oh, she's point. not exactly a bad guy. I was going yeah. to say, there's yeah. a. In a way, she's she's, and, and this was something that I think I feel like you sort of mushroomed it out in in the story you tell because I, I sort of tried to think about all the characters you created in the film and what happens, and you've got you've essentially got a cantankerous fat doctor who's. <laughs> Who's, who's quite mean, mean, mean Damn spirited. Yeah. Uh, you've yeah. obviously got you've got um, you've got Cooper's character, who's you know was was because of the homophobia in the Catholic Church was turned away from a home. So you've got this kind of, yeah. So you've got this softer male character. Um, then you've got the predatory priest, and then I look, then the, when mm -hmm. I think about the rest of the cast, it is it is all women. Um, mm -hmm. and almost like, even though. And she literally become, and the woman becomes the the leader of the band almost, so to speak. Yeah. So in a sense, you've kind of brought. Yeah. You've, it seems like you've brought the woman is into like more of a heroic role than than than, than yeah. a horror villain role, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Like she she gets to do the murderers, yeah. the murderous work, and she's not always killing bad guys. It's not like she's a saint or a you know no, a vigilante. No. no. Um, but she's. She's she's working entirely on her instincts and she's entirely focused on her aim. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, without giving away too much of the story, it's like I saw how much I cared for the woman in the woman and I saw how much other people did too. And there she is eating the face off the mother who's, you know, who's been abused by her husband and she's eating her bloody face off in the end and people still love her, you know? <laughs> it's just, it's, there's a great... Uh, there's a great catharsis, I think, in this character. And I think people will experience that through Darlin's character as well in this film. Um, but, yeah, she's, a, she's an anti-hero, I suppose, in this film. No, totally. For totally. sure. Now, yeah. it's, playing, it's playing at Grimfest, and I'll put a link in the show notes so people can get tickets to the sort of location and stuff. But you're going you're gonna to be in Manchester, are you, for the festival? 
I'm going to be in Manchester and I can't bloody wait. Uh, it's been an incredible year of going around festivals with this film and I can't mm. believe I'm still so lucky as to get to do more. And I learn every time I watch it with an audience. So, yeah, Friday 4th of October, which is not far away. And we're going to be on at 7 p.m. in Manchester at the Odeon on the Odeon Great Northern, it's called. It is, yeah, on 3rd to the 6th yeah. of October. And, and, I was, yeah. and I've been admiring the, the wonderful artwork of which you're fairly... Uh, you're fairly prominent as part of the, the artwork they're using for the poster, the T-shirt, oh, yeah. and the bag. I think, I think that might be me from from a video game I did. Oh, really? Um, I think so, because I've got a spider on my hand. So I think it's me playing Shelob, the giant spider from Lord of the Rings. Oh, right. From, uh, <laughs> from uh, Shadow of War. What's it called? More, more, no. Oh, bloody hell. I can't even remember the name of that video game, and it paid me for about a year. <laughs> it's called shadow of war but it's, there's a word in front of it anyway um but it's weird because it sort of looks more like me but then i've got a spider on my hand i think they did a wonderfully mixed version of of some different things i've done mm. but yeah pretty cool to be next to lapita Longo and then to be next to lauren ashley carter mm. as well from the woman and who yes, i also course, bring yeah. back into darling yeah um and then the wonderful Tosca sisters so yeah it's a really cool grimfest i've done i only realized secondarily that it's all women because I'm it's become more normalized for me now and then I was like yeah cool they've done all women on the poster that's awesome but yeah it makes me very happy and I feel very grateful and they did that at the last Grimfest that I attended with White Settlers and um and the the herd I think I was in up there as well which is this crazy if anyone wants to see a short horror made by a woman Melanie Light who's brilliant who comes from a production design background um, they should go online and watch The Herd because you can watch it for free. It's like a 10-minute short. And I play this awful woman who's running a, a farm of women um, for, for, for commercialism's uh, sake. And, uh, and it's really vicious and brilliant. It's very yeah. much like a mini version of Children of Men if, if we decided to milk yes. women. Yes, yes. It's really yes. grim. It's, uh, interestingly, it's really, interestingly yeah. I, was, I, was, I had a Skype chat with Melanie on Sunday. We're oh, cool. discussing a cannibal story to do together. Oh, great. I, I have a lot of respect for her. I think she's super. Indeed. Well, look, uh, one, actually, I just remembered one last thing I should, I should mention. Yeah. Obviously, at Fright Fest, you showed your, um, at the Duke Mitchell party, you yeah. showed us your December, which I'm, I'm getting the guys on who produced the whole, the whole anthology. Yeah. And that's, and you, what's, just, re, just to remind us, really, so December is, is, is how many directors is it? It's 24. Uh, for the 24 days leading up to Christmas. Of course, yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> they're doing it advent calendar style. We all had to make a five-minute short, two to five-minute short. Yeah. I think we all went about six minutes in the end. Um, and it was just horror, Christmas, here's a tiny budget, go make it, do all the paperwork, bring it back to us, we won't fuck with it. I mean, what a delight, especially after making such a, you know, a much bigger movie like Darling. Yeah. Here I got to go off and be, I mean, Darling was indie, of course, but, you know, it wasn't. With December, it was just go off and do it and bring it to us and, and we'll put it put it in the movie um, once the concept was approved. So I had the best time shooting in uh, this cabin in the woods for a couple of days and making this crazy Christmas short. Well, I won't, really be, I won't be answering the door when the carol singers come round East London, that's for certain, <laughs> Pollyanna. Oh, good, I wanted to creep people out. <laughs> well, look, all it gives me to say is thanks very much for giving us your time on the podcast. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Thanks for supporting the film. The Britflix podcast is provided absolutely free. 
If you want to help me get the podcast out to more people, please take a moment to leave a review on iTunes. Or if you want to help me out directly, there's a link in the show notes to my Patreon page. All contributions are welcome. And the music is by Chris Reed of thecomposers.tv. Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.